How do you find balance in an ever-changing world? That's the question I wanted to ask Stephen Eisen, founder of Loci and Elements of Balance today. This is episode 187 with Stephen Eisen. Welcome to Forever Athlete Radio, where together we go far. I'm your host, Corey Camp, and today we are exploring this concept of balance in an overstimulated world. If you're not familiar with Stephen, you've probably seen his Loci bracelets on the wrist of someone in your life. They source mud from the Dead Sea to represent staying hopeful in life's lows and water from Mount Everest to stay humble during life's highs. Our conversation today unpacks what balance really means to Stephen as he's built Loci to sell over 10 million bracelets, donating $9 million to charity in that process, all while being a father, a husband, and an athlete. So without further ado, let's unpack how to find stability and fulfillment through the highs and lows of life, health, and entrepreneurship with Steven. Steven, man, welcome to Forever Athlete Radio. I'm pumped to have you on the show. First and foremost, how are you feeling? What's up, Corey? Appreciate being here. I'm feeling good. We just switched it up, went real quick in the interview mode after uh, chopping up before here. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the time, man, especially I know you're about finding balance, about trying to juggle all of the things. I loved when I'm familiar with Loki. I didn't realize the other business that you had as well. And then learning more about you, the family, the two kids, obviously your own personal life. Let's start there. What has that journey been like of finding quote unquote balance in this world that you are doing a bunch of different things in? Yeah, you know, it's tough. Um, two companies, two kids. And at heart, I view myself as an athlete. Uh, I ran track in college. And so um, I always have that like athletic spirit as well. And uh, balancing all of those things is difficult. I really do it by prioritizing my time, looking at it as a pie chart kind of, and really thinking about where I allocate my time and uh, making sure it's only on those specific things. And I really try to cut out things that waste your time, social media, TV. Um, so busy, but uh, able to get all the important things in. I was about to say, I think what's critical in what I'm hearing there is, I don't even know if busy is the right word. I think what I, what I found in speaking with people like yourself, and you would probably agree with this, is there's a hyper-intentionality that needs to be present for this to work for this to be successful if that doesn't exist then you fall down the rabbit holes of the tv shows and the social media how do you how do you navigate that do you ever find yourself slipping up so to speak and getting caught up in a tv show or getting caught up in a tiktok rabbit hole or are you very much like no man i don't mess with that i don't touch that stuff at all yeah i try to stay the latter um, it, it, it's definitely hard. I deleted uh, all social media for like six months, which was amazing. And I wish I could have kept, keep it deleted forever, but, uh, with the businesses, it's helpful to have the channels. And so, um, I definitely catch myself slipping up. I think everyone does at some points, but just getting back on track and, um, you're right. It's about staying focused about your time and prioritizing the time because you're not busy when you want to be with your kids. I, I also think not multitasking is really important, right? So I, not always the best at it, but when I'm with my kids, I try to focus on my kids and be really present. When I'm working, I'm trying to, I try to get done 
the priorities I need to get done of what's most important to least important, right? When I'm working out, I'm really working out. And I think if you try to like be with your kids, but on your phone working, you're never really doing either that well. Um, and so prioritizing time and being present in what you're doing. Is that something you always intuitively knew or was there like a point in time where you like really had to learn that lesson, come take a step back and be like, oh shit, I should probably. Definitely. Yeah, I was, I was not always good at it. Uh, Definitely with kids, right? Like that is a, that hits you uh, across the side of the face when you have kids for the first time and you're like, holy moly, like the amount of time that, that kids need but you also want to spend because it's like it's it's a new feeling you've never had before but it's hard to do multiple things at once and also like I caught myself scrolling Instagram while I was like playing with my kids and I'm like what am I doing like they're watching me do this and this is not the example that I want to set as a father either Um, so that really made me more intentional with my time and being present. I love that. It's like you said, easier said than done for sure. Yeah. But are you finding yourself more and more now, like just no phone at all when it's family time or kind of where, where does that fall? Yeah. My day, um, I work out in the morning and I usually start work at eight, uh, And then I sign off from five to seven, which is when I'm with the kids, playing with them, giving them a bath, feeding them dinner, putting them in bed. And then I'll usually jump back online for a few hours after. So during that two hour period, I definitely try to leave my phone in my office. I have a home office with COVID. I work from home, but um, yeah, I try not to like carry my phone with me. I think it's, I mean, it's key. I found that, you know, personally, so I just, we talked before this, just moved to Austin um, mm-hmm. two months ago. And prior, my setup was my desk. We would be having this conversation with my bed, like in arm's reach. And that was very, very hard to have that separation. Here, yeah. I just, I feel so much better not having that all in the same jam-packed room, actually having this space. And sounds, you've been very intentional too with how you've shaped this life. I would imagine it can be, I mean, I can only speak to having one company. I can only imagine the, the growing pains of having two and the feeling like you always need to be on and always being attached to it. And there's, I mean, there's all, you know, as an entrepreneur, there's always another thing that you guys could be doing. Oh yeah. Uh, a new project, a new KPI that you need to be looking at to get that feedback and re-implement into the structure. How has that journey been? And I guess, where did that first start for you? Like, what was the inclination of, I want to start this thing? Yeah. And then take so, all <laughs> it was a, it was about 12, 13 years ago now, um, where I was a freshman at Cornell and my grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And that really brought me to a low in my life and really just got me thinking about the highs and lows that I was going through and how everyone goes through highs and lows in their life. My father was an entrepreneur, and so I, I'm, a, I'm creative, always coming up with different ideas. And I said, okay, well, what if I took elements from the highest and lowest points on earth, water from Mount Everest and mud from the Dead Sea, and incorporated them in a product that people could wear every day as a reminder to find balance in life? 
staying humble when you're on top of the world and hopeful when you've hit a low. Um, and I told my dad the idea for Loki and he said, that's a great idea, but everyone has great ideas. Now go execute it. That's the hard part. So um, I really bootstrapped Loki, worked on it for three years in college and then launched it in June of 2013 when I graduated. So um, I know people are listening. It's a bracelet company. Um, it has the white bead with water from Mount Everest in it and the black bead with mud from the Dead Sea. Um, so that's the story of Loki and Loki uh, donates 10% of profits to charity. It's been part of our mission since the very beginning. I believe that giving back is um, incredibly fulfilling in a way that, that helps people find balance. And so we do that. Um, and it's, um, yeah, the, the company is nine years old now. And I think over those nine years, we've had incredible highs and incredible lows, just like every entrepreneur. I don't think it matters what industry you're in, uh, what product you make, like you go through them. And uh, to the point we were just talking about, after nine years of owning and building a business, you realize that there will always be highs and there will always be lows. There'll always be another email you can answer but how are you going to be able to do this for the next 50 years? And that's how I view it, right? I don't view it. Oh, I'm going to do this for two more years, sell the company and be done. Um, I'm always like, okay, I want to have and build low and build other businesses for the rest of my life. How, how do I have to position the way that I work and my lifestyle? So that's sustainable. And, and I think it's very relatable to athletes um, and being an athlete, right? Like, you can't overtrain one day and say, I'm going to do it all today um, and get the most I can because then tomorrow you'll be shot and you won't be able to train. And then you're, you're, it won't be sustainable over years and years and years, right? So how do you build a, uh, a lifestyle that works for you where you can train or be the entrepreneur every single day and come in and not burn out? the million dollar question right like, yeah how do we how do we push the tempo the pace just enough where we're making as much efficient progress as we can without like flirting with frustration and burnout but without like falling victim to it um did you ever in your track days did you ever flirt with burnout and overtraining and any injuries and setbacks in that chapter of your life that then kind of you were able to learn from now and kind of look for these maybe earlier warning signs and just tapping intuitively. And what does that process look like for you? Um, no, I never really went through burnout as an athlete. I think our coach, I had an incredible coach, um, coach Taylor at Cornell and we practiced six days a week, three hours a day. Um, but it was very consistent. It was very fair. There were off days to do more like recovery work, right? So we, ne we never really felt burnt out. Um, I'd say the most burnout that I feel or have felt in the past with building businesses is sleep. Um, I, th I think the, the biggest mistake that I make and have made in the past is thinking, if I work till three in the morning tonight and get everything done, I'm gonna get so far ahead. But then you wake up the next morning and you feel like crap and you're not your your head's foggy and you're you aren't able to get a full days of work done. And if I just went to bed at 
10 o'clock the night before and then woke up early and, and crushed the work the next day, you'd get just as much done. So I think um, for me, at least it's that false sense of, I need to get my emails to zero tonight mm. type of mentality. Yeah. Check all the boxes. So it's a fresh, clean slate the next day. Yeah. Cause it never will be. Yeah. I mean, I find myself doing that. I had to really catch myself when I was in LA because it would be like Friday night at eight, nine, 10 PM. And I'm like sending email outreach to people on the East coast. I'm like, why am I doing this on a Friday night? First off, second off, like, <laughs> people are receiving this email. It's going to be like 1 a.m. their time. They're probably like, what the heck? They're not going to see it though until Monday. So like this can most definitely wait until the next day. So I yeah. heavily relate there. One of my favorite really just tidbits around sleep that's helped me a lot um, is cognitively speaking to your point of waking up groggy the next day. When we get just one less hour of sleep, it's the equivalent of going into the next day, having had like three to four drinks or beers in our system. So you're kind of like going in already a little bit buzzed and trying to find your wits about you. That has been yeah. just like reminder of, all right, cool. I wouldn't go into work having had three to four drinks. So yeah. why am I sacrificing an hour of sleep for what? What's that yeah. sleep schedule look like for you now, especially with kids? That's yeah. some other variables that you get to play with. I try to go to bed by 10. Okay. Um, and uh, I'll uh, plugging the second company here. Uh, Elements of Balance is a functional wellness company. So we have uh, d- drinks and supplements for energy focused, calm and sleep. Uh, and what I've found with, especially with my sleep routine is going to bed at the same time mm-hmm. every day is a huge help also. Um, because your, I think your body gets used to that cycle. Um, and, and for me, I take as one of our sleep products every single day. And that, that helps me start my routine of going to sleep. And then I really get the best out of my sleep. And I know I can wake up early, work out, and then get off to a great next day. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. That's the little hack you found. The, the sooner I feel like Almost if you can keep it, I encourage people usually like a 30 minute window, right? Like if 10 o'clock is your middle of the window, it's like an added bonus if you're able to get in bed by 930, maybe you're a little bit more tired, need a little bit more recovery time. But at the very latest, like 1030 is so almost like a standard deviation of 30 minutes from that middle line there. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. What exactly for the functional wellness side of things and elements of balance what exactly is in the product i would be curious around sleep in particular that is aiding in sleep and we can use this as an opportunity to educate listeners of really sleep hygiene as a whole yeah so about two and a half years ago now i said okay we're loci we're a brand about helping people find balance in their life what else can we make that authentically delivers on that promise Writing, find your balance on a t-shirt doesn't really help people find more balance. Um, And so we wanted to make something authentic and we learned about adaptogens and how in high enough doses, they have functional benefits that you can feel. Um, But only if you're really using clinical doses, right? I think there's a lot of products on the market that um, use the word adaptogen, um, claim functions, but 
the minuscule amount of those ingredients that are in the products aren't actually going to deliver the benefits. And so from the very beginning, the cornerstone of the brand has been about those clinical doses. So uh, we worked with the ethno ethnobotanist and a scientist, and we found third party clinical studies that were done on adaptogens in different doses. And we actually used the same supplier um, of those ingredients and the same doses that was used in the clinical studies. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, one of my early entrepreneur endeavors myself was I wanted to get into the supplement industry. And I was mm -hmm. mind blown at really just like the wild west feeling that exists in just like, there's not really a ton of regulation. Like people, there are those companies out there that can get away with, yeah. Like, we put a drop of magnesium into this drink and now all of a sudden it's a sleep aid. And it's like, well, really, yes, this might help an ant sleep a little bit better, but not a human being. <laughs> yeah. And, but, and when people ask me, oh, who are your competitors? Like sometimes I actually have trouble answering that question because I don't, I don't look at external competition very much. For me as an entrepreneur, uh, I believe it's all about your product and the quality of your product. It has to start there, right? It doesn't matter how good your marketing is, how good your branding is, how many great influencers you have. If you don't have a great product, people might try it once, but then they won't keep buying it or using it. Um, and then it will the company will fade. So for me, we're really focused on the quality of our own products, um, and then building a really sound, uh, like operational business, uh, that can be profitable. Yeah. I love that. How did, what was that process shifting out? Because similar, so I was a swimmer growing up. So similar to track in the sense of like, it's this individual sport, right? For the most part, you have, we have our mm -hmm. relays occasionally, but so <laughs> much of that culture is, well, like you're constantly being compared to the people, your peers around you based off of a pretty like standard time is like the most standard thing that we have to measure performance in this sense. So it can be very easily like, oh, okay, I'm faster or slower than you. How did you break that mindset and stop looking more outwards at your competitors or like, what was that? I mean, what does that journey look like? Yeah. Well, related to sports, especially swimming and track, right? Like you can't control your competitors. Mm. You can only control how fast you go and what you do to train to get better. And so I kind of take that mindset, I guess. And I've never thought of it. This is the first time I've thought of it like that. But that mindset of, well, I can only control how well I can build my company um, and what I can do to affect our success, not the com competition. Um, and, and I think the, it's naive to say, and I, I think this probably comes up a lot in your conversations about uh, athletes and entrepreneurs, but your team is everything, you know, and, and um, I learned that just through the years of building loci and now building elements like uh, with elements, I knew I understood product, I understood branding and marketing. I understood how to build a great team. I had zero experience in the ready to drink uh, operations, distribution, sales side of things. And that is a beast of an industry. Um, and so 
I hired an executive team of all veterans that uh, have been in that space for 25, 30 years. And um, that, I guess, humbleness of knowing that there are people that can do those parts of the business better than you, Mm -hmm. I think has really helped uh, me be be able to manage running two businesses, uh, as well as starting to see some great success on the element side, because um, it's with people that know what they're doing. Yeah, as a um, as a self startup, as a you mentioned earlier, you like you bootstrapped this from the ground up, essentially, especially with Loki. When what was that process, or like when did you know that like? Because I think very early on in a lot of solo entrepreneurs, especially like I can speak to this because that's me. Um, like I feel like I can wear all of the hats, mm-hmm. but at some point like something's got to give, like I have to let my child go to daycare and have someone else take yeah. care of them for a second so that I can actually focus on my zone of genius and my strengths. When did you start to shift from like, all right, what point was Loki? Like, all right, cool. Like this is me, but now I need to take a step back for a second and let someone else take over this part of the business and when have you, what have you learned from that, I guess? And now, like, are you willing to outsource a little bit earlier on, bring people in? It sounds like you are, but. Oh, yeah. Learning yeah. I mean, Lokai, just like every first time entrepreneur, I was doing it all. I was doing customer service. I was carrying a display of product door to door in New York. Like, that's how I started. I would literally walk into yoga studios, women boutique stores, athletic stores, and I would just say, hey, is the manager here or is the owner of the store here? Can I speak to them? I'd tell them my story about Loki. I'd pitch them. I'd get turned down 95% of the time. But like that, that's the, the beginning days. And every time I opened a new door, it was a huge win, right? So I did do it all, um, just like everyone does at the, at the start. And I, I, I hired my first employee, which was customer service. Uh, for Loki when I just physically couldn't do it all anymore. And I knew my time would be better spent elsewhere than doing customer service. Um, over, over the years, I learned a lot though. At the beginning, I, I really micromanaged everyone uh, and because I, I thought I could do my, their job better than them, um, which just isn't true. Uh, and it, it also didn't then give me the time to spend on the things that I should be spending on and uh, are really important. And so um, it took me nine years to learn that lesson, is seven years to learn that lesson. And then with elements, I was just like, all right, day one, I'm just gonna hire the best people that know how to do these jobs way better than I could ever do them and let them do their thing. And that's kind of the approach that I, that I now take with all team members. And I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're hiring someone that you feel like you're going to have to micromanage, then you're probably hiring the wrong person mm-hmm. uh, because y- people, I've, I also, people do the best when they feel like they're in control of, of their job and um, they are handling a part of the business. And so um, that's been very eye-opening to me over the years. Yeah. What's, because I mean, I guess the opposite, right. Of you've, if you don't feel the need to, micromanage there's an element of trust there that exists in your team what is that 
process look like for you? Like, what do you value as a CEO and founder and like running these businesses? Where do, where do employees or just even just people you meet in general, what does that process of trust building look like for you personally? Just what are those? Yeah. Um, it, those are great, great, great question. Uh, honesty, transparency, and grit are like the three things that I really value. Um, I think for anyone, if they're not, if, if you have people that aren't working hard, well, then that's just like not acceptable. So you want people that will really grind, work through problems, figure out solutions, like do whatever it takes. Um, on the grit side and the honesty and transparency side, like people make mistakes. I make mistakes. Um, and I really value when employees come to me, say they made the mistake, what they made the mistake on, what they learned from it, and then move on from there. No one's going to be perfect. And I think if you let team members make mistakes and learn from it, they become stronger at their job. Um, it's it, to me, what's not acceptable is if you try to hide it or don't, don't say the mistake you made. And, and that's just not cool. I was going to ask then, like, as a leader, how do you encourage those values to show up in, in that environment? And I would imagine based on what you just said too, they're probably, those are just universal, like high values and hold a lot of weight for you personally. So I'm imagining that shows up in friendships that shows up in your family life as well. It's probably what you're instilling in your kids, but as a leader, how do you set the stage? How do you set that culture? Cause I mean, it's top down, right. Um, And hopefully vice versa, like they're encouraging you to be better as well. But what does that process look like for you? Like, how are you setting the stage for this to truly? You nailed it. It is. They're, they're the same values that I hold with my family and my friends and everything and everyone else. And it's, it's who I am. And so that is how I treat my team. I'm always very open and honest and transparent with them through the good and the bad of things that are going on within the company that maybe they wouldn't have transparency uh, because of. And um they they see what you do right it's if, if you had values that differed from what you actually did within your company it, they're never going to stick and people are going to quickly realize and know it right so I, I think um different entrepreneurs have to have different values based on what they they think is important in their business so i don't think it's a one-size-fits-all but uh, that is just who I am. And so th- those are the values that I kind of bring to the companies that I start. Is there anything like proactively on a, on either the day-to-day or maybe even more like a macro scale that you're, you guys are doing that you maybe haven't seen elsewhere or you've just known like, I'm not saying give us all your secrets, but like give us all your secrets. Like what's, what's been successful? Um successful to what to those values yeah to letting those values truly have a life of their own within the the walls and really beyond the walls of the company just living them every day i think actions speak louder than words and that's just it's i'm always i'm always those three things you'll always get the truth 
you'll always get my loyalty um, and and my grit. And so I expect that of my team members as well. Yeah, I love the saying, you get what you give. And it's so simple. Uh, and I think it can be really easy as leaders and pioneers, especially in, in certain industries, to lose sight yeah. of that. I'd be curious. I, 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 would, I would add one thing, um, not that it's a secret, but another thing that I've learned that over the years that, that has, I think, made me a better CEO and entrepreneur is becoming less emotional. Mm. Um, in the early days, I think you have to be very emotional because you have to be willing to run through brick walls. To, for success to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and that is just part of the spark and the flame of starting a company. But I do think there's a transition where a founder becomes more of a CEO. Um, and I learned that a lot from uh, my colleagues on the Make-A-Wish board. I'm on the uh, National Board of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is an absolutely incredible nonprofit. Uh, and a lot of operators sit on that board of different large uh, companies. And the way that they ask questions, the way that they go through processes and procedures, they never get emotional about what's going on. It's always like, how can I fix the situation or make it better in a solution-oriented way? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think trying to take emotion out of the good and the bad sometimes um, allows you to operate in a more clear headed way. And your employees, I think, feel that and do the same. I was going to say, it's for you make a wish. We're coming up on that time of year where you guys have that week, isn't it? Is it a week or so? I remember always growing up watching Sports Center and like the Make a Wish series. Like I would. April 29th is World Wish Day. Okay. I mean, without a doubt, like I was in for a good cry whenever one of those things aired. So. Talk about the opposite of emotional. Every time I was yeah. like, you're pulling all my heartstrings here, man, with <laughs> marketing. Um, and it's just so cool to see. So I, I love that little tidbit there. Um, I, what's been the your experience? Because with Loci, in a lot of ways, you're pioneering an industry. Not that like bracelets haven't been around. Like they have, but you were doing them with a different twist to it than has ever been seen before and then contrasting that now with elements where it's like there are adaptogen drinks you are more like you're not the first to market in that sense but with loci in a lot of ways mm -hmm. you were and you were revolutionizing with this 10 percent charity give back component of the company just walk me through like the contrast what have you noticed differently between those two experiences now yeah um on the loci side I never viewed Lokai as starting a bracelet company or selling bracelets. We actually try not to even use the word bracelet um, because we're really selling the, the message uh, and inspiring people to find balance in their life. And that is, I think, what has been able to make Lokai so successful. Um, and for me, Elements is an extension of that mission. To help people find balance. So uh, although yes, there are other adaptogen beverage brands, I always bring 
our storytelling and our marketing and our messaging back to helping people find balance in their life, which I think is the more emotional side of, of why people should consume and use our products. Mm. This might be one that you get a lot, but what does balance mean to you personally? Like businesses stuff aside, what does it mean to Steven? Um, balance to balance to me, I think means that at, and, and I don't mean to sound um, like sad, but at the end of my life, looking back and saying, like, did I accomplish and do all of the things that I wanted to? And did I spend my time the right way? And so I think as I think about balance on a day, month, year, decade standpoint, it's like I, I, spending the time with my friends and my family and my kids my fitness, which is incredibly important to me. Um, and, and like, whenever I'm like in a bad mood or, or like stressed or whatever, if I just, my wife knows, like tells me go for a run because she knows like that instantaneously will change my mindset, um, and work. Right. So I don't want to look back in 50 years and say, Oh, I spent all this time watching TV or on Instagram. Like I want to make sure that my time was spent really well. Mm. So that's balance to me and giving back. I've, I've found, um, I've found the more that I've given time and money over the years, the more I actually get back in return. It's a beautiful thing, right? It's a weird thing. It's a weird it's thing. A weird thing. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. intuitive, but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing. One of the things that I, I like you brought up into the conversation of balance earlier was this kind of visual of a pie chart versus I think oftentimes when we hear that word, automatically we think a scale and that it has to be even on each side. But you just said, really, based off of those values, I'm hearing like four or five different things that are going to show up in your life on a daily basis to create balance for you. But at some season in your life, maybe you're running for training for a marathon or training for a race mm -hmm. or in a fundraise or, you know, product launch. So like that pie chart might be a little bit bigger into that area than the others. Is it, I guess, how have you navigated these, these seasons of life, these ups and downs and these waves in that? And do you think that there is a true equilibrium or is it just over time? they're going to be, they're going to even out a little bit. Yeah. I, I like how you put that. I, I don't think it's like a hard percentage. If you thought about it as a pie chart, I think over time, it's a journey. Things will change. Things will take up more time. Things will take up less time, but, but I think keeping them is really important. And so for me, like I can't go multiple days without working out. It, it will like mentally, it will really, start to affect the rest of what I do work, how I am being present with my family and my kids. Right. So, um, I think there are those things to me are all consistence that need to be in there, whether I am training for an Ironman, which I want to do in the future and which will, will take up more of my time, yeah. which I don't, which I don't have right now because of the kids and the work, right? Like, realizing that it's okay not to be training four hours a day 
for something like Iron Man, right? So, right? I, <laughs> uh, so that's actually normal that we're not doing yeah. four hours training every yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I think um, being okay with knowing that you can't do everything all day, all the time, mm-hmm. um, and that it will flex. Yeah, I think that's the the beauty. I love talking about flow and just like the imagery of water and how it can be. I mean, it's one of the strongest elements that exists on this planet and it can be really forgiving, but it can also be very strong and powerful. And if we like fight against the current, we're in for a much more difficult struggle than if we were to just in a lot of ways surrender and be like, all right, cool. We're just going to let this take me or it's going to take me. Let's see where this journey unfolds to. And that's kind of what I'm hearing a lot in where you're at. It's like the Iron Man is a for sure goal. And I, and just in this conversation, I have no doubt that that will happen at some point in your life. But I, I admire more your ability to have that goal and also hit pause on it and recognize that like, just where the businesses are right now and where your kids are and the seasons of life that those two things are in, the Iron Man's going to have to wait a little bit. And even though, yes, you'll get older, you're still going to knock it out at whether it be 40, 50 years old. Like, I think that's the crazy part about these endurance sports, man. It's you got people out there, seventies, eighties. I I did a little bit of master swimming uh, post-grad for a little while. There's these like 90 year olds diving off the block. I'm like, you're 95 years old and you're like willingly jumping off of a, a block, like three feet off. Like, what that's legendary that's cool when i'm 95 yeah (laughs) i love that one of um just a curiosity question more so than anything else you came up with loci when you were 18 19 years old how does an 18 19 year old figure out how you're going to source water from Everest and mud from the dead sea i've wondered this since the day that i've like found your product and heard the loci story i'm like that's awesome. What is that? What are the logistics behind that? Like walk me through, how did you discover the accessibility and be able to bring it to scale? I'm curious. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give you the actual story of how it all happened. So like I said, my dad said, uh, it's a great idea, but everyone has great ideas. Now go execute it. That's the hard part. And that just lit a fire under me. I, um, from, from creating the bracelet standpoint, I literally went on globalsource.com or one of these massive manufacturing websites said, I need a silicone bracelet. I got thousands of responses. Then I copy and pasted, okay, I need a silicone bracelet that is a unique shape. The ones that said, no, I knocked out. The ones that said, yes. Then I copy and pasted another message. Okay. And it has to be multiple colors. And I just kept doing that until I whittled down to a few that said they could make it. And I literally then got some samples uh, made and then I got on a plane and flew to Shenzhen, uh, not knowing anyone and just (laughs) went for it um, and figured it out when I got there. The water in the mud, um, the mud was a lot easier to get. So they make a lot of beauty products out of mud from the Dead Sea, like uh, face masks and stuff. So I was able to find suppliers of, of Dead Sea mud um the water was much harder i i was literally calling 
any number I could get a hold of in Nepal. I think I called like a pizza place at one point in Nepal and said, I know this is crazy, but you know anyone that can help me? And um, I eventually got connected to a climbing group uh, out of Nepal. And just like if you wanted to go climb Mount Everest, you would, you would hire a team of Sherpas to help you do that. I essentially employed Sherpas to go collect the water from base camp two and bring it back down and ship it to the factory. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. I'm just walking through my head of like, if my job were to undertake that trek to like go get the water yeah. back down. How did you, what was that selling process and enrollment process like once you found the people that were like capable of doing it? Was there a lot of convincing to be like, hey, like, this is what I need? Or are they just like, all right, dude, we got your back. We're going to go with this. You know, I don't know if it was because I was so young, but when people, when I told people the idea for Lokai, and from the, from the very beginning, when I had the idea of why I was doing it and why I was creating this product, the response was always so positive. And people are willing to help. If, if you're willing to take a risk and ask for help, people are, I think, more often than not going to say yes. Um, and so a lot of people were willing to support me in the early days and take the risk and see if this kid's crazy idea would work. Um, and it did. <laughs> um, and we, from the beginning, it, it was always a joke. Well, are you, are they just going to take mud from like their backyard and water from a tap and put in the bracelet? And so from the beginning, we've always had a third party audit, um, our process and, and everything that we do to, to make sure it really is water from Mount Everest and mud from the Dead Sea. I was about to say, I'm sure that's a very common, that's probably an FAQ on your website. I would imagine it's like, how do, yeah. how do we verify this? We're getting the real, yeah. I love that. What, out of curiosity as well, it sounds like one of your strengths is this ability to tap into this extrovertedness and ask and like, just go for it. What would your advice be to someone that maybe might not view themselves as super extroverted and like might need a little bit more encouragement to like, go for it? So, so I will surprise you. I am definitely an introvert. Um, I don't like most people. I'd prefer to just be by myself. Um, but my desire to be successful and build the company that I want was more than not wanting to talk to people. Um, it, it was it was actually pretty funny. Um, Sarah, who's uh, been incredible and uh, helped make the connection with me and you. Um, I reached out to Sarah and we were talking about uh, me doing this podcast uh, tour and starting. I've never been on podcasts before. And you're like the second or That's third tough. one that I've, that I've ever done. Uh, and I was like, do I really have to like go on to myself and talk? Like, um, but I do it because I want to spread the story and message of Loki. And um, for me, actions always speak louder than words, but I think I have an opportunity to use my voice to tell my story and reach new customers. 
um, and help them find balance in their life. So I'm going for it. Let's go, man. I am very with you there. And I'm not surprised by the way. I mean, it sounds like you found solitude and really your flow of things in track. And like, for me with swimming, like my favorite part about swimming, while it was an added bonus that I got friends and could talk with people at practice. I mean, I loved the solitude of just putting my head underwater and staring at this dang black line for two hours. Like <laughs> probably very similar with you going out for a run. I was just, yeah. you know, like I got a team, I got people that I'm training with for sure. But like at the end of the day, I mean, when you're really training hard, you're not talking to these people as you're running, you know, it's, so I'm the same way. I, I like to classify myself as uh, extroverted introvert. I can turn it on for like the hour that you and I are going to sit down but yeah. like afterwards. I'm going to just like not talk to anyone and I'm going to love it. <laughs> Same. Hopefully second podcast ever. Hopefully this wasn't like a scary experience for you. Uh, no, this is great. Perfect. Perfect. We're, um, I want to, uh, before we kind of highlight where people can find all the things that you're doing, keep up with you, keep up with the, the companies and all that. We do like to end things with what I call the fast five, which will be five, just rapid fire, one sentence, one word answers to help people really get to know a little bit more about you if they haven't already throughout this conversation. The first one is what is your go-to podcast that you're probably jamming to if you do listen to podcasts? I have a feeling that the pause is like, uh, I don't listen to podcasts. (laughs) We've never had an answer on here and I love it. I love it. Um, Never had that answer. Never had that answer, but it's cool. I've had this. I've had that answer for the second question, actually. What's your go-to book that you've read in the past year? Um, ooh, good question. Um, fiction. I really like I Am Pilgrim. Mm. It's a great, great, uh, like mystery type book. I, th- I think as, as great as nonfiction books are, uh, and there's a lot of great business books. I, I love all the Jim Collins books for nonfiction and business. Like I actually find being most inspired and most creative when I'm listening to um, fiction books. It's almost like, I'm not surprised. It's like when your best ideas come to you in the shower, it's because you've allowed enough yeah. for you to step away from the problem. I yeah. find similar if i'm just like head down trying to problem solve and then i'm going to read a book about it let's do a podcast about it there's not enough space and separation for that solution to come up so i love that i'm looking for more fiction books so i'm gonna go check that out number three what is something that you can't live without my kids and my wife well said well played second podcast ever you already know how to handle the pr team here at home right uh, number four, <laughs> what's a, what is a quote that you live by? Um, execution is everything. Mm, beautiful. Last one, number five, if you could focus, or sorry, sum up all of the things that you're doing right now and do a one word, what does that focus look like for you right now? Finding balance. Beautiful. Very on brand. Very on brand. Yeah. Let's see it, man. This was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad Sarah connected us and really enjoyed getting to know you here. Where can those like get to know you more, follow loci, follow elements and all of the the fun things that you're up to. 
Yeah, so um, I do have an Instagram. It's Steven Eisen. Uh, I'm pretty terrible at it, but you'll find me there. Um, and then Lokai is L-O-K-A-I dot com. And um, I made a code. It's podcast15. and You guys can get 15% off uh, anything you want. And then elementsofbalance.io is the beverage and supplement company. Nice, man. Again, same code. Beautiful. Go check it out. Appreciate you tuning in today. How will you find balance in your life from here? I invite you to share this episode with someone in your life who can help hold you accountable in that process. Remember, change often requires grace. Life will flow on, so it's on you to find what works for you in this moment. And until next week, flow on, my friends.